Today we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Psalms, so if you have your Bibles, head that way if you would. We're going to be in Psalm 33, and we're going to read the whole psalm, and so we'll pick up in verse 1 in just a moment. Psalm 33, starting in verse 1. I've titled my, my sermon today, Blessed is the Nation Whose God is the Lord. You probably have heard that. You probably have seen that maybe on a wall hanging or on a shirt. I've, I've seen it a couple times, even just this past weekend on uh, different pictures on Facebook and stuff like that. That is, uh, that is not uh, some, some the, uh, a theologian off in the monastery came up with sometime, uh, disconnected from everything. That's actually taken from our text today. And, uh, of course, we just celebrated the 4th of July, and uh, our nation celebrated its independence. Now, don't get me wrong. I am glad we are independent of the rule of England. Unfortunately, though, I think that our, our nation is involved in a struggle not against... Uh, to, to be independent, not against, uh, not independent of England, but rather our nation seems to be in, involved in a struggle to be independent of God, and that's something that's uh, that's happening all over the place, and and you no doubt have noticed that uh, as well. And and I, I want you to understand, I am, I love our country. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the good that our country has done. I'm thankful for the blessings that God has poured out on our country, uh, undeservedly so. Uh, I'm I. I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for those things. And I want you to realize that you and I could have been born at any other time in any other place. I mean, it's, it's not because of some good that we've done that God put us here in, arguably, the, the greatest nation the world has seen. I mean, we could have been born in communist China. We could have been born in Iran. We could have been born any other place. We could have been born in any other time. But he has put us here, and it is a blessing to be here and to be here now uh, in, in this time in history. But the fact is that, is, that is the case. And many of you love this nation too. But hopefully you're not blind to what's going on. Because there is, and I don't think I'm overstating this, a revolution going on in our nation. We are far from perfect. And, and there's a storm that's been brewing for many years as this nation has turned away from God. And I believe it's finally coming to a head uh, in many of the areas that we see around us. Now the answer to those things is... The gospel. The answer to those things is the gospel. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get ahead of myself. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at Psalm 33. And uh, we're going to see uh, what this psalm has to teach us today. So if you found Psalm 33 and you're able, I'd ask you to stand with me to honor God's word. We'll pick up in verse 1 and read down to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> the psalmist says, Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre, sing praises to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song, play skillfully with a shout of joy, for the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice, the earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap, He lays up the deeps and storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven and he sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works. 
The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. Thank you. You may be seated. Now we're going to do things today a little bit differently than we usually do because usually we start at the beginning of a text and we work our way all the way through and uh, in, in a fairly sequential order. But today we're going to jump in right almost smack dab in the middle of the text and see kind of the key verse I want us to look at. And then we're going to look at some other passages or some other verses in our psalm. And in verse 12, I want you to look at it again. I want you to see the requirement for blessing. The requirement for blessing. Look what it says. It says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Now, there are a couple of things I want to point out to you. The first is that this is a general rule specifically applied. This is a general rule specifically applied. And what I mean is this psalm is talking about the nation of Israel. When it talks about the, the nation that God, the people that God has chosen for his own inheritance, he's talking about national Israel. And so, so we see that this is applied specifically to the nation of Israel. This is not talking about America specifically in this passage. But what is specifically applied to Israel is generally true. The nation who, who puts God first, whose God is the Lord, is going to be a blessed nation, whether it's Israel or America or any other nation. If, if a nation will be blessed, they will do so by putting God first. Now, I also want, I'll, I want you to pay attention to verse 12 because there are a couple of, of key words in there that I want you to, uh, to, to not necessarily circle but just focus in on. The first is that word blessed or blessed. It has the idea of happiness or, or fortunate. It, it, he, he's saying that happy and blessed and fortunate is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, look at verse 12 again. Whose God is who? The Lord. Now, if you'll notice in verse 12... If, you'll, if you look in your Bible, you'll see that LORD is in all caps. We've talked about this before, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But when you see LORD in all caps, that's the translator's way of telling you that the name, the, the word that's used there in the original language is the proper name of God. This, this is Yahweh. It's Jehovah. It's the I Am of Scripture. And, and it's used all throughout this psalm. And he says, Blessed is the, the nation whose God is Yahweh, whose God is Jehovah, the covenant name of God. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because he does not pronounce a blessing just on any nation. He doesn't say, blessed is the nation. He doesn't say, blessed is the nation whose God, who, whose God is a Lord. Little, little L, little G, little God. He says, blessed is the nation whose God is Yahweh, whose God is Jehovah. So blessed or, or happy is the nation whose people follow God, the one true God, and whose laws and, and systems and all those things are just and righteous, and they follow the just and righteous laws and standards of God. Now, some people, maybe even some of us here, kind of console ourselves when we read this, don't we? Because what do we say? We say, well, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And then we tell ourselves, and America is a Christian nation. You ever heard that? I, I've heard that, and I've said that. America is a Christian nation. But I want you to think about that statement. Is America really a Christian nation? Well, there, there are a lot of Christians in America, and I'm thankful for each one of them. Many of our founders were Christians. Not all of them, but many of them were. Even the ones that weren't, 
were influenced by, and they accepted, by and large, the Judeo-Christian worldview. And so that influenced all the laws, all the, the, the structures of government, all those things that we have in place were influenced by that worldview. But listen, days have changed in regards to the number of Americans that even call themselves Christians, but also in our culture. Because used to, it was, it was not uncommon for the whole town basically to be at church, right? Not necessarily the same one. But many of us can remember days in our lives when, when a, a whole town was shut down on Sunday, when, when the vast majority of people showed up at church on Sunday, when afterwards everybody went to mom's house or grandma's house or wherever it was and, and had a Sunday dinner and, and all those things. Those days have changed. In a piece uh, from October 17, uh, 2019, so less than a year ago, the Pew Research Center uh, put out a piece titled, in U.S., decline of Christianity continues at rapid pace. And so what they did was they looked at, uh, they, they took a poll of, I think it's like 30,000 people, and, and they asked them some questions, and they, they, they put all these things together, and, and they gave us some depressing pieces of information. For instance, they state that over the past decade, people who simply claim the Christian faith, now we're not talking about people who live according to the dictates of the Bible, we're talking about people who just say they're Christians. Over the past decade, the people who claim the Christian faith has declined by 12%. It's down to just 65%, while those who identify themselves as agnostic, atheist, or, quote, nothing in particulars, rose to 26% of the population. On top of that, they collected data on people's religious, um, the, the number of times they went to church. Okay, and here's what they asked. They said, Aside from weddings and funerals, how often do you attend religious services? More than once a week, once a week, once or twice a month, a few times a year, seldom or never. And their finding is, quote, in 2009, regular worship attenders, those who attend religious services at least once or twice a month, outnumbered those who attend uh, services only occasionally or not at all by a 52 to 47% margin. Today... In 2019, those figures are reversed. More Americans now say they attend religious services a few times a year or less, 54%, than say they attend at least monthly, 45%. Now I want you to think about what I just said. If, if this is a representative sample, more than half of the people in America go to church less than 12 times a year. Now you think about that. And we want to say, yeah, we're a Christian nation. People, people don't claim the name of Christ. They don't go to church. And it's no wonder then that our nation and our laws and our systems many times are not in keeping with God's standard of justice. Our nation is one that slaughters its own children. Our nation is one that, that uh, uh, I mean, bills have come up at the state and federal levels to protect infants born alive. Through a botched abortion, somebody tried to, to, uh, to have an abortion. The baby was born alive anyway. And there were bills that were, were put forward that would require doctors to give the same amount of cares, or, or any medical professional there, to give the same amount of care to that baby that was in, uh, as they would another baby that was in the same state of development. Those failed. Bills that were put forth to save babies' lives were failed. They, they were voted down. 
There were, there were bills that were put forth to, uh, to restrict the uh, uh, late-term abortion. Those were voted down. And in fact, in a couple states, uh, namely uh, Illinois and New York, they have put forth legislation that says it's okay for an abortionist to, per- to perform an abortion up to and including the time of birth. Are we a Christian nation? I don't think so. Our nation celebrates homosexuality. Ironically, the nation just finished up with what's called Pride Month. I say it's ironic because it's ironic to me that they have a month set aside named after one of the sins that God calls an abomination to celebrate another sin that God calls an abomination. We, we are not where we used to be. Now let's look at the text because that's kind of depressing, isn't it? Let's, let's look at this God who is worthy to be praised according to the scriptures. Why is the nation happy and blessed that has God, the one true God, as Lord? What is it that makes him so good? Well, we're going to look at several things. The first is, is that his ways are righteous. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of the Lord. He is righteous in all his ways. He takes pleasure in his people doing righteous things. Now, there's a lot of talk right now about social justice. We don't need social justice. We need biblical justice. We need people that will follow the laws of God, that will apply it justly, equally, fairly to all people. It doesn't matter their, their color, their social standing. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. Apply that stuff across the board. Apply God's laws biblically, and then you'll have a just society. We need biblical justice, not social justice. We need God's standards upheld for everybody. And when that happens, things, things are, are, are a lot better. The second reason to praise God and to honor Him is because, verses 6 to 9, He is the creator of all things. God is the creator of all things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't do, through, do it through evolution. He didn't just uh, start this whole world going and then uh, let things happen by chance and, and uh, random permutations and, and all those things. He did it through a direct fiat. It, it was a direct act of God. God spoke and it happened. And you'll not hear this today in science classes, but humans are the pinnacle of his creation. We bear the image of God. We don't share a, 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 a we, we don't share an ancestor with the chimpanzee you see in the zoo. We're not about a bunch of stardust bumping into one another. We are the creation of God. Sometimes we, we tell people, or we don't, but, but people are told, well, you just you share a common ancestor with the ape. And then we're surprised when they act like animals. No, we are. We are the creation of God. I read one time about a young man that was kind of confused. He'd gone to school. And he's hearing all these things that were counter to the, the, the Christian faith that he was taught. Learned about, you know, natural descent and, and all these different things. And he was kind of confused. Went to his mom and said, Mom, uh, I don't understand. I'm, I'm hearing all this stuff at school. Could you tell me where did we come from? And so mom, she decided to, to wax eloquent and long about all these things, chance and permutations and, and all, these, all these things, evolution and, and uh, descent and common ancestors, all the rest. And at the end, the boy was really confused and he went and talked to his dad and said, Dad, I don't understand because Mom told me this 
where we come from? The dad said, well, son, God created man male and female after his own image in knowledge and righteousness and holiness with dominion over the creation. He said, I don't understand. Because you're telling me this and mom said that. And dad thought for a minute, he said, well, that's easy, son. She's talking about her side of the family and I was talking about mine. <laughs> now listen, God is the creator of all things, of everybody. He, he didn't do it through, through all these different things. He, he did it through a direct act of God. God spoke and it happened. And in a nutshell, uh, we, we, are, we, we are image bearers of God. Therefore, each person has value and dignity and is deserving of respect. They have intrinsic worth. A third thing that God tells us, uh, the Bible tells us about God, is that He is sovereign. Look at verses 10 and 11. He is sovereign. It says, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nation. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. Now, what does, that, what does that say? It means that he rules and he reigns. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Now, Psalm 2 tells us much the same thing. It says, the nations rage. They can scheme. They can plot. They can do espionage. They can do underhanded dealings. They can do all these things. They can have all the plans and schemes they want. But the Bible says they plan. God frustrates their plans. God plans, and, and they, have, they have plans to try and frustrate God. He, frustra- he frustrates them then, too, because he just does what he wants. God is in charge. He is sovereign, and He does whatever He wishes. Now, you might look at your circumstances. You might look at what's going on around us in the world, and you say, well, it seems to me like God's, out of con- God's got things out of control. He's, he's let things go. He can't change this situation. I don't see how there's a way. But listen, if God wills, He'll make a way. He is sovereign in, in, at the personal level as well as the international level. God is sovereign. Fourth, God exercises providence. He exercises providence. We don't talk about providence much, but, but, uh, but what does that mean? Well, providence is when God's will, when His sovereignty interacts with time. Providence talks about His government of all things, both human and non-human. Now, sometimes we think of, of things as a chance meeting, of a stroke of luck, of a, of a happy accident, if you're a Bob Ross fan. That's what we think of Sometimes we think of all these things that happen and we say, oh, well, what were the chances? What were the odds? That's not luck or chance or happenings. That is God's providence working things out. Now, if you look at verses 14 and 15 and then verses 18 and following, especially 18 and 19, it speaks of him beholding or looking out at the inhabitants of the earth. Now, God's not just sitting back and watching it like we watch I Love Lucy. I mean, he is involved intricately and intimately in all things. Now, to see this, I mean, you can think of your own life, but I just want you to think about the storyline of the Bible. And, and in particular, think about all of what we would consider as, uh, just on the human level, insignificant choices that are made throughout each person's life that lead up to all these different things that have happened. Think about Moses. Now, Pharaoh said, kill all the Hebrew boys. So we have somebody that decided... Not to follow that. Save Moses alive. Then Moses' mother just so happened to put him in a little boat in just the right part of the Nile River on just the right day when Pharaoh's daughter was going down there to, to bathe. And it just so happened that Moses right then cried out. 
And it just so happened she sent the, uh, a servant over to get that baby and see what was going on. And then instead of drowning it like her father would have said to do, she just so happened to choose to not only keep the baby alive but also to adopt him and bring, her, bring him in to Pharaoh's very household. And then Moses just so happened to be walking along as an adult and just so happened to see an Egyptian man uh, beating another, uh, an Israelite man, a Hebrew man. And he attacked the man, he attacked the Egyptian defending this Hebrew and he ended up killing him. But it just so happened that all that was going on somebody saw it. And it just so happened that they, Moses and this person interacted. And Moses got scared and, and ran off to the backside of, of, of the wilderness and there he met his wife and father-in-law. And all these things, you say, well, that's a lot of chances. Yeah, God was directing all of it. He was in charge. You think about the coming of the Messiah. And you look back through, um, through uh, Matthew 1, for instance, you see all these names. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. And we was, our eyes glaze over, don't they? We, we don't want to read the, the genealogies. But you think about all the choices that were made. So-and-so saw so-and-so and thought they were attractive, and they thought the other person was attractive back. And then they got married at just the right time, and they had this kid, and, and all, these, all these influences made them the person they were and made them attractive to the next person down the line. And all these things culminated. Now you just think about the Romans that came into power, all the choices that were made to get them into power, which made Herod be in place and Pilate and all the rest. All that was done by God. You think about Samson. Now, Samson, he was kind of a failure of a judge in many ways. But you just think about him. He was walking along. Very first incident that we get out of his life, he's walking along, and he's attacked by a lion. You remember that? And he kills the lion. And then later he ends up uh, making a riddle out of, of all that and everything. And you just think, what had happened? Because that, that all culminated in him losing his own life, but he killed many, many Philistines and delivered Israel out of their hand. So you think, what if that, what if that lion, we're not even talking about the human level, what if that lion would have slept in a little bit that day and he wouldn't have seen Samson come along? What if he had had a big gazelle and he'd had a big breakfast and he saw Samson and said, you know what, I'm kind of full. I don't feel like getting out in the sun and pouncing on him. I'm going to just let him go on by. What if Samson would have gone by it at just a little bit different time and, and the lion wasn't there? What if he would have gone down by a different way? We, we look at all these things, and the Bible tells us specifically that these things happened because God was seeking and, and uh, uh, he, he, was, he was going to overthrow the Philistines. He was seeking an occasion against them, I think is the way the Bible puts it. God exercises providence. He works all things after the counsel of His will. The last thing I want to highlight is that God brings about deliverance. God brings about deliverance. Look at verses 16 and 17. We looked at this passage uh, several weeks ago. But the psalmist looks at, at, at the kings and the nations and the things that they trust in. And he talks about warriors and horses, war horses. In other words, he's talking about the military. And he says, remember, they didn't have tanks and, and airplanes and things like that. And so all these nations are trusting in their military might. And he says, all that's fine. This is, my, this, is the, this is the uninspired Jeff Braddock version. He says, all that's fine, but all that's worthless unless God does something. 
Because God's the one that brings deliverance. He's the one that gives success. And so if, if, if a person, if a nation trusts in their military, aside from God, they're ultimately trusting in the wrong thing. And therefore, because God's the one that brings victory, we should trust Him. We should trust Him. So we've seen the requirement for blessing. We've seen the reasons for praise. Last, I want you to see the response of the wise. The response of the wise. Look at, at the first three verses. The proper response to God and His wondrous acts is praise. It's thankfulness. It's, it's singing to God. And Baptists are known for singing a dirge instead of singing for joy, aren't we? I mean, we, we, we want to sing a sad song and we have every reason to be glad. And that's what he says. He says, sing to, for joy in the Lord. The people of God should be a joyful people. But I want to tell you there are other responses besides happiness and joy and song. The psalmist says that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the fact is, we don't see that in this country. We don't see Christ's kingdom set up in this world. We don't see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. The only way that happens is through the gospel of Christ. The character and laws of a nation will not change unless the people change. And those people won't change unless their heart changes. And the heart won't change unless the Spirit of God moves on it. Because we can't do that on our own. We can't change our heart. We can't take out the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. We can't do those things. We, 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 we don't need the law of God written on tablets of stone as much as we need it written on our hearts. And so that's what, that's what we need in this country. We need God to move. We can't do it for ourselves. We can't do it for somebody else. You probably have had somebody in your life that you really wish you could save them. You wish that you could bring about their salvation, but you can't. It is an act of God. It's a supernatural thing where God brings, brings spiritual life to the one who's spiritually dead. That has to be a work of God. And that happens when people hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, suffered a sinner's death, a substitutionary death in the place of sinners. He took the wrath of God for sin that we deserved. And on the third day, he rose again. He's ascended into heaven, and right now he's sitting at the right hand of God, waiting for that day when he will put all his enemies under his feet. And it's our job as Christians to share that message, both at home and abroad. And that's one of the things that we're doing when we're taking up you know, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, all those things. We are enabling people to go spread the gospel. And we want to say, well, I've done my part then. I put a dollar in the plate, they can go do it. Well, listen, it's our job to do it, too. It's our job to do it. It's our job to go, and if we can't go, to send. Now, the question I want to ask you is whether or not you've ever trusted in Christ for salvation. Have you responded positively to the gospel? Have you repented of your sin? You turned your back on it and turned yourself to God. You, you wholly cast yourself on Him in His mercy. Because the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And listen, God has commanded, commanded people everywhere to repent. In fact, Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31, Paul says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. In other words, one day you and I are going to stand before God. One day, 
we will stand before God and our, our eternal destinies are not going to be determined then based on our good versus our bad. The good stuff we've done versus the bad stuff. That's not, that's not when it happens. That's not the basis of, of it happening. It is determined in this life not by what we've done but what Christ has done and what, what our response is to His work on the cross. And for those of us who, who have never done that, do that today. But for those of us who have done that, listen, we have a response that we should be doing too, and that's we need to be praying for our nation. Now, I'm, I, I love our nation, but I'm not blind to its condition. And many people of every political persuasion right now, 2020 is an election year, here's what, here's what they say. Well, our hope as a nation is, is determined by who it is that sits in the, in the Oval Office. Wrong. Our hope as a nation is determined by who sits on the throne in heaven. And, and that's the only place that we have a hope. And so we need to pray for revival, pray that God would change hearts. Why? Because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You want to stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, as you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, again, some of, that, some of that stuff we talked about is depressing, isn't it? To think about where we've come from, to hear the stats that we know, just anecdotally in our own experience, we know many of those things are the case. Is there hope for this nation? Yes, it's found in Jesus. not found in a president, it's not found in a program, it's not found in, in any other place but Christ alone. And God has richly blessed us as a nation, and he still is, inexplicably. And so we should respond with an attitude of thankfulness that God has given us so much more than we deserve. But we shouldn't be so wrapped up in our patriotism that we turn a blind eye to the nation's condition.